Here's, here's, here's why I decided to do this. I get caught in the hallway a lot, or I get Facebooked or even emailed. Hey, Pastor, what do you think about? And I'll just tell you, first of all, I'm not real good in giving answers that I feel are thorough on Facebook or in email. So if you've been one of those people, don't take offense. I'm, usually I'm trying to text before I jump in the car or something like that. And, and sometimes I even ignore questions because I just don't feel like I can, I can do it justice in, in the amount of characters that you're allowed in a text. And so those are awkward for me to answer that way. I'd rather try to give a, a better explanation as to why. And hallways are always tough, even though I try to do that. But um, they're, they're just tough. Could you understand that a little bit? And that's part of what led to this. We have a lot of new Christians and a lot of... Um, older Christians that are learning church in a different kind of way and it creates all kind of questions like man this isn't the way I was grown grew up and what used to be wrong isn't wrong but then we discover half of what we thought was wrong isn't even scriptural anyway it was just what our denomination told us how many can relate to that one and so when I was growing up whoever of you are in my age bracket uh, when I was growing up when the preacher or the teacher or the parents said this is wrong we all just said, okay. And if we even dared ask why, then the answer was, that's my generation right there, huh? I mean, you guys grew up because I said so. There was never questioning. It was because mama said what mama said. That was it. What the preacher said, we just believed. And that was it. And we never asked. And, uh, and, and so uh, that's why I wanted to do that because we live in a generation right now that because I said so is not good enough. I mean, no, that's right. We live in a very questioning kind of a culture. Sometimes that's good, sometimes it's not good. Because if you're trying to figure everything out about God before you decide to follow God, you're in big trouble. Because I've been serving God for over 40 years, and I still don't have all my questions answered, okay? But we're going to attempt to do that today, and this is going to be our theme verse. 1 Peter chapter number uh, 3, verse number 15, we'll use this verse every week, and here's what it says. It says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared, and I like this. Notice this word, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who ask you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Man, that's a pretty tall order, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you agree? Because people can come up with some crazy questions. How many know there's a difference between an honest question and a question to trap you? Right? There, there's a difference. But it says, be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for your hope or, or why you believe. And gone are the days because my church said so, because my pastor said so. Because that's what my pastor taught me. And, and I want to caution us, and the next line cautions us against something that has kept me from doing this kind of series in the past. But do this with gentleness and respect. In other words, what I don't want to create here, and please hear this if you hear anything else. I don't want to give answers to questions that you have for you to use them in a combative kind of a way or an argumentative kind of way. Uh, I think that Christians do the kingdom a disservice when you are trying to win an argument and run over people to win your point, to make your point. How many know the phrase, you can win the battle, but you lost the war? 
And so I want the people of new generations, I want us to be gracious people. And, and, and I strongly disagree uh, uh, with Christians that, that use their knowledge in a combative kind of way because the whole message is not about stats and facts, it's a message of grace. And sometimes we're so hard to give the facts and the scripture verse that we miss the whole point of grace. And I want to make sure we don't do that. So make sure, but do this with gentleness and respect. So I'm, I'm not giving you ammunition. I'm, I'm trying to help give you a foundation. Does that, does that make sense? So we're going to lay some ground rules, and I'll repeat these every week. Here's our ground rules, and I hope that I can model in the way I answer the questions how I would expect us to do the same thing. So here's our ground rules. Number one is we need to understand that the Bible is our authority. Okay, so I'm going to answer every question I can with a scripture verse. Uh, the Bible is our authority. In fact, 2 Timothy 3.16 says this. All, everybody say all. all. How much scripture is profitable? All, all scripture is God-breathed. We're going to deal with this later too. Where did scripture come from? How come some letters made it to the canon, some didn't? How come some are holy scriptures? How come some are not? But as for right now, we have to believe we're going to go to Scripture, and that's our authority. And all Scripture is God-breathed. In other words, God, through revelation of the Holy Spirit, put in the minds of men what to write for the Holy Scripture. It wasn't just their opinions on things, okay? And, uh, and it's useful for teaching, watch this, rebuking, correcting, and, and some people like that rebuking. And we got too many Christians that want to beat people in the head. And, but rebuking doesn't have to be mean. It's just a form of correcting when people ask. If people don't ask for my advice or my correction, it is not my place to interrupt your life and tell you what you're doing wrong. Is everybody all right with that? Stay in your lane. Why worry about the splinter in somebody else's eyes? Are you hearing me? So please, I don't want us to be judgmental kind of people, all right? Okay, so rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work, okay? So number one ground rule as we start is that the, the Bible is my authority. The Bible is our authority. The second uh, ground rule is that when the Bible doesn't deal directly with something, um, in fact, one of the questions later in this series will be, what, is, what, what, what should Christians view about plastic surgery be? And uh, how many know that in Bible times they didn't have plastic surgery, right? So there's no scripture and verse. And some ladies are like, all right. Okay, but there's no scripture and verse for that. There's no scripture and verse that says the name of the person you should marry or the, the, the job you should take. So there, there's not a scripture and verse for those things. So the second ground rule is where the Bible doesn't deal directly, we're going to find some general principles and guidelines that we can operate in. Um, Christians are notorious. Non-Christians don't do this, but believers often will say, well, God told me. And I have news for you. God never told you to do anything that is contrary to the principles and the guidelines of his word. Amen. So be real cautious when, if you're one of those Christians that walk around all the time telling, me, telling people that God told you. Um, it, it needs to line up with the word of God. Right? Okay. And then the third principle as we start today. The third thing I really want you to understand. So the Bible is our authority. That's what we're going to go to. 
Second, when the Bible doesn't speak to it, we're going to give general guidelines and principles. And then the third ground rule is for you to understand, uh, there will be a few, there will be some of them, I'm going to just give you my opinion. Okay? When I give you my opinion, I will say, this is my opinion, and you can feel free to disagree. It's okay with me if you're wrong. Okay? So. <laughs> some of you didn't laugh at that. You bunch of bullies. All right. So, um, but, but I mean that. And I'll say, because as a pastor, one of my responsibilities is to shepherd the sheep. And so, but I will tell you, if it's not a Bible verse or a teaching or a doctrine, I'll just say, here's my take on it. Here's why I do this. I've done that with my kids as they were growing up, and this is why I believe this, and this is why this is important to me. And, and the reason those ground rules are important is because um, the essence, so much of our core values as a church evolve and, or excuse me, revolve around the fact that we want to have this open circle where everyone has the right to come here and search for truth. Today is Growth Track 101, and in 101, we're going to give you what our theological doctrinal stances are, but we're just going to give them to you because we have four doctrinal stances that we call essentials. In other words, we're not going to bend on those four. Jesus is the Son of God. We are not going to bend on that. He's the only way. That's something we won't bend on. How many agree with that one, right? But there's a lot of things that we're just going to give you room or liberty. In fact, we'll, we'll say it today that we're going to give you liberty on non-essentials. In other words, we don't want a Simon Says Church. We want the kind of environment that allows you to come and search for truth. And one of our core values is to give liberty in non-essentials. That's why sometimes I'll share my opinion and I'll let you know it's my opinion, uh, but we just want to make sure there's a culture for you to come and search for truth. We're not going to get divided over the way we do baptism, the way we do communion, the way we worship. The, we're just not going to do that. We want their, I think the kingdom of God is bigger than a style. And so I think the church ought to reflect the kingdom of God. Uh, if you're not used to like shouting something back. Every once in a while, just say amen or yep, so I don't feel so insecure. Like, okay. All right. So you guys got it? Okay. You ready to deal with the questions? Let's go, go right in. That was good. All right. Okay. These are in no particular order. And again, some might be trivial. Some might be more in depth. But here we go. Let's start off with uh, this one. Uh, question number one. Is it okay for a Christian to get a tattoo? How many has ever had that question in your mind? Let me just see your hands. Now, you can't be shy. In this size of crowd, I'll come call you out, all right? Okay. No, I'm just kidding. All right. Okay, let's just do this. If I'm going to be bold enough to give you my answer, we're not going to throw stones. How many of you think it's okay for a Christian to have a tattoo? Let me just see your hands. Wow, a bunch of liberals out there. No, okay. How many of you don't believe it's okay for you to have a tattoo? Okay. Uh, how many of you are afraid to answer because you don't know what the scripture says about it? Let me just hear you. Okay, that's good. You're a wise man, Jimmy. All right. <laughs> that's where I'd be, too. All right. Well, that's good. That's good. So, uh, but obviously somebody has this question, and we're going to dive into it a little bit today. Um, it's kind of interesting. Patty and I were looking at movies. We were thinking about going to a movie yesterday. Didn't see anything that we really wanted to see. But there was a showing last night at Imagine uh, like at 10 o'clock at night called Tattoo Nation. And the advertisement for it was very interesting because it asked the question, why 
did it used to be that people with tattoos were looked at as criminals and thugs and bikers and and but now it's become a mainstream uh, of our culture and 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 so the movie was actually a documentary it was too late on a Saturday night for me to go but I found it interesting here's the stats 40 percent of people between the ages of 26 and 40 have tattoos 40 percent between those ages um, I'm sure that varies uh, it, out on the West Coast we lived there for four years I mean everybody had tattoos I mean you see 90 year old grandmas with no, I'm just kidding, but I mean, like, everybody had tattoos, and I've been in the Bible Belt in church down there, and, like, nobody has tattoos, you know, kind of thing. So I'm sure that geographical, how many know a lot of times our beliefs have to do with the kind of church and the denomination and geographically where we're raised, right? Okay, so let's dive into it. Let's, let's take this approach. Let's, let's talk about those, what, what those that would be against it would say. Those that are against it, um, they, they would bring us to Leviticus chapter number 19, verse number 28. How many know this verse? How many's heard this verse? Okay, and so it seems pretty clear cut, doesn't it? Here's what it says. Do not cut your bodies for the dead or put, there it is right there, or put tattoo marks on yourselves I am the Lord. And so those that are against tattoos, this is the verse that they always want to bring to your attention, okay? And, and I, I mean, just looking at it, wow, that looks, you know, pretty right there in your face. And then they would probably continue to say things like, well, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, and, um, you know, you're going to be judged or viewed as a rebel, all those kind of things, okay? So that would be generally the argument for those that are against it. Most, it looked like 95%, you are okay with it today, so we won't spend a lot of time there. But let's talk about those that are for it. Those that think it's okay for a Christian to have a tattoo, uh, they would probably take you right back to the same chapter, but take you to one verse earlier. Let's read it. Do not cut the hairs at the... I'm going to hell. <laughs> I'm already in trouble, all right? Okay, look at this. Do not cut the hair at the sides of your head, men, or clip off the edges of your beard. I see a whole lot. I'm, I'm kind of lukewarm, you know. I'm kind of right in the middle there. But so, so now, it doesn't, it's not so clear now, is it? Because we, we see one verse, but then we see another verse. And culturally, we're not, you know, we don't have the long bang. We don't have the big old ZZ Top beard. And, you know, Mike, you're the only righteous guy I see in the whole building, right? And, oh, I'm sorry. I've got, I, I got Charles back here. i got a few guys going to heaven. The rest of us are in big trouble, all right? Uh, Richie, you're on your way there. I see a little shadow going on there. But, okay, and, and so here's the point. The point is we can always be argumentative. Okay, here's what I want to draw the line because I don't want to spend too much time on this one. Um, we need to understand this. First of all, that we are New Testament believers. We're New Testament. We're under, we, we are under grace and not the law. But hold on. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. Okay? And so as, as Christians, well, first of all, in the Old Testament, there are hundreds of laws. If you've ever studied, I mean, there's like 800, almost 900 just ceremonial laws, what the Bible calls ceremonial laws, like how to wash your hands, when to wash your hands, 
what times of the day you can eat certain foods and not eat foods, all right? I mean, you can't eat pork. And I mean, in other words, the law in the Old Testament was given so that we could understand as humans in the flesh, it was impossible for us to keep the law, so we needed somebody to fulfill the requirements of the law. His name is Jesus. Now we live under the dispensation of grace. Now, there's still arguments, though. Okay, then does that mean we get rid of all of the laws? Well, no, it doesn't mean that at all because we can't kill people now, right? We shouldn't commit adultery, right? Okay, and so so how do we know, Kim, which ones, like, you know, we, we men, we sh we're shaving our beards, but, but we don't have tattoos so we can get to heaven. Here's the thing, and you're going to hear me say this a lot in this series. One of the things we've got to get to is the heart of the matter. See, Christians always try to make a rule, and when we make a rule, it turns into religion. And when it turns into religion, it becomes a stumbling block between us and our relationship with God. So many of these issues that we hear, the thou shalt not, are more of a heart issue. Now, let me go back. How do we distinguish between the two? When Jesus came to earth, now New Testament... Um, he repeated, or the New Testament repeated those, I'm going to just use the word laws or rules that were important under the new dispensation of grace. They were not ceremonial laws. They were laws of morals, of spiritual guidance, of ethics, those kind of things, okay? So, so the New Testament repeats those things that we need to carry under the new uh, dispensation of grace. Is everybody following with me? Let me give you an example. Old Testament, it was wrong to eat pork. But here's Peter, and now he has this vision from God of a tablecloth unrolling and says, go have some bacon, buddy. I mean, just live it up, right? That's a paraphrase, but how I many know what I'm talking about? It's found in the book of Acts. So in other words, um, the New Testament is showing us that we have liberties now that we didn't in the Old Testament, but the ones that we don't have liberties on are the ones that are repeated in the New Testament, such as Jesus himself speaks of things like, you've heard it said, thou shalt not murder. But I would say to you, if you hate your brother, you've already committed murder. Uh, you've heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. But if you look on a woman with lust, you've already committed adultery. And so, does that make sense? So, they're repeated in the New Testament. Those would be under what we would call the moral rules or guidelines to live by. And the Old Testament, Jesus fulfilled the requirements of all those ceremonial rules because God doesn't want a relationship with us that's rule-based, but heart-based. Everybody with me so far? Okay, now I gave a lot longer answer to tattoos than I wanted to, um, but, but I'm trying to set the, the, the pace for this. Now, let me go back to something. So are tattoos right? How do you distinguish between those two verses? Well, you've got to understand the context. The context is, at this time, God was delivering a, a people out of a pagan nation. And so God was not dealing with cutting your beard. He was not dealing with whiskers and tattoos. He wasn't dealing with body piercing and all of those things. What he was dealing with was idol worship, was worship to demons and other gods. Because this Levitical verse is that when they worshiped other gods, they would burn their body or tattoo themselves, symbolizing their dedication to these other gods. Now, you can see it's not a hard rule. It's a matter of the 
See? And so if you get a tattoo on your body that says Jesus is Lord, how many know that is not the intention of God saying you can't get tattoos? It's not saying you're not showing your dedication to another God, right? Because I know a lot of Christians that say, well, I use this as a testimony uh, to the Lord or, or for the Lord. Now, now I'm just going to give you my opinion. Everybody ready for my opinion? Yeah. My opinion is this. If you live with your parents and you eat their food and you're warmed by their electric bill and you're cooled by their electric bill and you live under their roof and you eat Doritos on their couch, the, what I believe is you should do whatever they say you should do. Amen? Amen? Come on, mamas, you've got to love me for that one, all right? All right. Uh, now, if my kids that are grown, they can make their own decision now, but if they would come to me and say, Dad, can I get a tattoo? Well, uh, my stance on this would be, honestly, I have no biblical reason to tell you that you can't do it. I can't. Not in good. Now, as a dad, I might not want them to, and I can use the scripture in a wrong way. How many know that's dangerous? Because that creates rebellion and mad at God. And because so, so if they came to me, I, here, this is my opinion. I would say I don't have any biblical reason to tell you not to do it. But I would give you some advice. <laughs> my advice would be it's permanent. It's on there. And so I would talk to you about its permanence and its placement. And no matter how carefree you are at 17 and 18 and 19, one day you might have the kind of job and a profession that you really would like to have that covered up. And so my advice, this is my opinion, would keep it in a way that it doesn't offend people in a business kind of a setting. Is that good? Yeah. Everybody with me on that one? Okay. I just gave you my opinion. That takes boldness to give my opinion. All right. Question number two. The second question uh, that we'll deal with is, why don't we hear about dinosaurs in the Bible? And are dinosaurs real? So I think this is a pretty good question, right? It's not a heaven or hell issue, but it, it, it's a pretty curious question. How many would agree? Yeah. And um, first of all, to answer the second part of the question, I'm, I'm about 100% dinosaurs are real because we have bones of dinosaurs. You can go to museums and see them. Unless, of course, in God's sense of humor, he just made some bones and stuck them in the earth to go, watch this, guys. This will really mess them up. You know? <laughs> you know, come on. Some of you need to know that God laughs, okay? All right. There's no dinosaurs. I'm just going to put these things in the earth and watch them argue about it. It'll be so fun. Anyway, all right. So, but the evidence tells us that dinosaurs are real. And where do we hear about them in the Bible? Well, let me give a little bigger explanation um, I did a lot of, and, and I'm, my bent is not towards science. Some of you are science gurus, and this is just not my bent at all. My, I can tell you my attitude is I could care less where dinosaurs are. I got bills to pay. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I don't care. I'm trying to get to heaven. You know what I, Okay, but that's me. Okay, that's me. And so let me honor the question. Um, first of all, there are about... Ten different scientific theories about the creation of the earth. Ten different scientific theories. Here's what that says to a logical brain like mine. They don't know. If you've got ten theories, that means they don't know. Okay, that, that, okay I'm done with that one. Next question. Oh, all right. 
so that's, that's my take on it. But there are a couple views from Christians' point of views that I think are pretty interesting that I'd like to at least throw out there to you. The first one is that some Christians believe in what's called the gap theory. How many have ever heard of the gap theory? Anybody? Okay, a few. One, two, three, four, five. Okay, here's the gap theory. We go all the way back to the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter number 1, between verse number 1 and 2, some believe in a theory. This is just a theory of what's called the gap theory. Let me, let me explain it to you. Let's read it together. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Some translations have a comma right here. Some have a period. Some believe the gap theory is that a whole lot of time happened between verse 1 and 2. And in the Hebrew language, some believe that it is possible there's mixed evidence. Now the earth was formless and empty. Some believe that translation should read, and the earth became formless and void. So, let me explain the gap theory. The gap theory is that they believe it reads like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, period. A lot of time happened in between there. Millions of years, hundreds of thousands, but just a lot of time, okay? And uh, now the earth became formless and empty. And some believe that, that in that gap, this is where... By the way, let me throw this in here as a side note real quick. Um, the Bible is not written in chronological order. A lot of people think that it is. But the first few books are kind of historic books. But then a lot of the minor prophets and major prophets of the Old Testament happen interspersed in there. Job is believed to be the oldest book in the Bible and believe that the book of Job, what happened in the book of Job, literally happened somewhere between the first and the fourth chapter of the book of Genesis. Everybody tracking with me? So there's this overlap. And the book of Job talks about how Lucifer was thrown out of heaven. The book of Job does deal with uh, creatures that would be what we would consider dinosaurs. But watch this. So, and, and, and so there's this gap. He created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth became formless. Many believe because of the book of Job where it talks about Lucifer being thrown out of heaven. That that's when the, the, the earth as we know it or that we know it in verse number one became formless. Because now the, the devil, if you would, is in the earth and, and the temptation of man and all of that kind of stuff happening, all right? So, so that's, that's what uh, the, the gap theory and when Satan was thrown out of heaven and the earth became formless, that was the extinction of dinosaurs. That's why some believe they're millions of years old, even though biblical history only has us at about 7,000-year-old earth. Everybody tracking with that? Okay, here's the other theory that Christians believe. The other theory is that, um, that, that dinosaurs actually lived on the earth with Adam and Eve. That they just literally were there during the time of Adam and Eve. And during the great flood is when the dinosaurs became extinct. Okay, so those are the two theories that Christians believe. And, and you say, well, what's your opinion? <laughs> well, my opinion is it doesn't really matter to me. <laughs> I just, I don't subscribe to one or the other, and I don't mean to be rude about it, I just, 
it, it's just one of those things that's kind of fascinating to look at, but I just don't really have an opinion. Um, and, and let me just say this again. I think we get in a dangerous place when we have to answer uh, every question before we decide to be followers of Christ. I mean, there's some people that literally will not take a step of faith until they can answer all these kind of questions. Well, what about the evolutionists? What about the Big Bang? And what about? Listen, there's just questions I don't have answers to, but I know that God's on the throne. See, I'm going to go home today, and I'm going to turn on the TV, and all of a sudden, there's going to be a movie I'm going to be watching, right? I don't understand how that works. I don't get it at all, but I'm still going to do it. Everybody tracking with what I'm saying? Okay, um, so let me give you a couple of verses just to put in your pocket about dinosaurs. Job, we go to the book of Job. Look at the behemoth, all right, which I made along with you and which feeds on the grass like an ox. What strength it has in its loins. What power and muscles in its belly. Now, some people say, yeah, but that's like an elephant or uh, the woolly mammoth or something like that. No. Have you ever seen an elephant's tail? It looks like a little string. Right? Watch this tail. Its tail sways like a cedar tree. Come on, somebody. That's not an elephant. How many know what I'm saying, right? Okay? And it goes on. So there's some scripture reference there in Job chapter number 40. Here, let's go to Job chapter number 41. I'm just giving you some things for information. This is the Leviathan. Listen to its description. It, it, its back has rows of shields tightly sealed together. Each is so close that the next one has no air can pass between them. They are joined fast to one another. They cling together and cannot be parted. Uh, let, let's see. Its snorting throws off flashes of light. That's one bad animal right there, right? Okay. Its eyes are like rays of dawn. Flames stream from its mouth. I mean, I don't know any animals like that right now. Okay. Uh, sparks fire. Uh, sparks of fire shoot out. Okay. Smoke pours from its nostrils. Okay. I'm just saying, they're in the scripture. Everybody with me on that? Okay. So um, that's what I'm going to give you on that one. Here's what I do love, though. And this is why I make this statement about, look, you've got to give up having answers to every question. Because Job got a little bigger than than his britches kind of thing. And he started questioning God. Go read Job chapter 38 sometime. He's questioning God. Oh yeah, well what about, and how come, and you know, and this. And he starts questioning God. God finally gets put up with it in Job 38. He says, okay, hold on. Let me ask you some questions. Where were you when I measured off the dimensions of the world? Uh, <laughs> uh, you got me on that one, you know? Where, where were you when I created the storehouse for the rain or told the rain what channels to travel through the earth in? I mean, that's some crazy kind of questioning, right? In other words, God is saying his ways are higher than our ways. Okay, I've got to hurry up. Number three, the third question, uh, and this is a pretty serious one. Can a Christian drink alcohol? Is it okay for a Christian to drink alcohol? Now, um, I, I was, I, I, I grew up where it was, dogmatically wrong for Christians to drink alcohol. And I remember a story of an old Baptist, Southern Baptist preacher. He's preaching, and, he, and he's really preaching on temperance. And he's preaching away, and he says, and if I had all the beer in the world, I'd take it and pour it in the river. And if I had all the wine in the world, I'd, you know, like a good old Southern preacher, I'd, I'd take the wine and pour it down in the river. Man, the crowd would, yeah, amen, amen. And if I had all the whiskey in the world, ah, I'd take it and pour it in the river. 
Everybody's in a frenzy. Yeah! The song leader comes up to close the service. He said, if you'd turn with me to hymn number 365, we'll sing, Shall We Gather at the River? Everybody said, Amen. All right. That's going to be one happy baptism, I'm telling you. All right. Okay? All right. Let's, let's talk about it. Let me just give you three or four minutes on this. I may offend some people on this, but I'm just going to tell you what the Bible says. The truth is that the Bible does not say that drinking is a sin. It doesn't say that. I grew up in a denomination that told me that it did. And then I started searching. Not because I wanted to drink. I just wanted to know the whys because I said so. Now, um, now it, 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 so here's the deal. It does say that getting drunk is a sin. And so I believe there's a bigger issue here than can I drink. I really do. See, I think that we got to be cautious anytime we're saying, okay, how close can I get to the line and still make it to heaven? Okay? And, and I'm really putting myself out there because I'm not trying to give anybody permission. I don't want anybody to go get drunk today because the preacher just said that, you know, the Bible doesn't say that drinking is a sin. So you can understand the position I'm in on a lot of these questions, but I want to be honest with you. I think there's a bigger issue at stake here. And so let me take you to Ephesians and just give you some scripture. Ephesians 5.18, it says, do not get drunk on wine. Here's the big thing. Well, we know that, Ken, it's wrong to get drunk. Okay, we, we know that. Here's the part of the verse that I want to draw to your attention. Um, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Debauchery, here's what debauchery means. Debauchery means the fulfillment of whatever the flesh desires. So here, in, in Paul is saying, look, why go out and get drunk or even drink? Because it's going to lead to the fulfillment of the flesh. That's what I think the bigger issue is. Are we living by the Spirit and what the Spirit says? Or are we living by the flesh and what the flesh is calling us out to do? Here's what I know. We all have to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. All right? In other words, there in this room very well could be recovering alcoholics. And if you're a recovering alcoholic, I would say that you should absolutely not hang out in the bar, not drive past the bar, not have a social drink. All right? But for somebody else, they have vineyards and your family grown up tasting wine and having a glass of wine. I'm not going to tell you you're going to hell over that. That's one of those issues that you have to find out what God is saying to you. Know your strengths, know your weaknesses, know your intention, and move through it. And let me tell you, that is not a political answer. That is just the facts, right? Okay, let me give you a couple more verses there in your Bible. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Um, it, it, it says some things to all of that. Um, and I won't read them right now because I'm running short on time here. But um, I'm just going to give you my opinion. Can you guys handle my opinion on it? Yeah. I'm going to give you my opinion. Uh, my opinion is there'd never be an alcoholic if there wasn't a social drink. That's my opinion. And I come from a totally different perspective, okay? My perspective is this. And, and this is just me, so please let me just be a pastor for a minute. I don't drink. My kids have never seen me drink. Um, and, and here's why. It's not a theological issue for me. It's a personal issue. Um, I had somebody offer me a glass of wine within this last year, and I said, no, thank you, and they kind of ridiculed me. A Christian 
I never thought I'd be getting peer pressure from a Christian, you know, but, and, and said, oh, I know, it's that old denomination in you. I said, it has nothing to do with denomination. See, I have alcoholics in my family line. My wife has alcoholism in her family tree, and we personally have worked too hard to break that generational curse, and so we're going to keep that door shut. I believe in something called the law of diminishing returns. See, if my kids see me drink a beer on a hot summer day, I'm not putting this on you. This is me. Then it gives them the permission to drink two beers on a hot summer day. And if you see me drinking a glass of wine in a restaurant, it gives you, without realizing it, oh, well, the pastor's doing it, and it's the law of diminishing returns. And so to whom much is given, much is required. So there are some things, just because of my position as a man of God, as a father, as a pastor, that I restrain from, like Paul said, otherwise I become a stumbling block to other people. You say, well, Ken, that means you have to live your life in, in for other people. Guess what? We all have to, at some point or another, live our lives for other people. Anybody heard of marriage? Come on, somebody. Right? Okay, the body of Christ. Okay, so there's some other scriptures in there. Um, um, and, and Paul said it very clear, 1 Corinthians 8, 9. Be careful, however, that... That the exercise of your rights um, does not become a stumbling block to those that are weak. I mean, it's right there in Scripture, so it shouldn't be a stumbling block. Okay, here's the last thing I'll say on that. You have to be careful with anything that is technically okay, but it leads to sin, addictions, and mind altering. Okay? Can you receive that from me today? 